Hello listeners, I'm Carmelo and welcome to Stack Econ Bits. Today we are going to discuss our policy recommendation to the Federal Reserve as well as our analysis of the current economic situation. Today I have with me Dan, Trisha, Vera, Matt, and Aisha. Vera, can you give a background on the current situation and an analysis of GDP? Absolutely. Inflation remains the key issue facing monetary policy today. Multiple domestic and global shocks led to extensive price pressure from both the demand and supply side. Producers face post-pandemic increases in aggregate demand initiated by high government spending and the expansion of the Federal Reserve balance sheet. Additional resilient supply side disruptions led to a long-lasting accelerated inflation, such as now being joined by economic contraction resulting in recession risks and fears. This year's decreases in net exports, private domestic investment, and government spending exceeded the continued increase in consumer spending and explains the reduction in real economic output during the first two quarters of 2022. Although GDP is contracting, the positive nominal output gap for this year estimated by CBO shows continued overutilization showing an overheated economy. A wowzer. Aisha, how is this affecting real personal income? So the August reading of BEA's personal income report shows little change in real personal income during the last six months. And this is despite recent increases in nominal wages and salaries in the private sector. A reduced consumer buying power is being indicated by the diminishing personal savings level below pre-pandemic rates, as well as spike increases in food, energy, and agricultural inputs pointed out during Brainerd's, Governor Brainerd's speech on September 30th. Did she mention anything else in the speech? And what are consumers feeling about everything? So she also mentions, mentions that lower interest rate sensitivity for consumer spending on services, which explains why the sector became the driver of 1% growth of real PCE, while expenditure on goods showed further negative growth. However, demand, especially for non-durable goods, remains very high. This is striking when considering the continuous reduction in consumer buying power, as well as the significant overall downturn in the U-Michigan Consumer Stipend Index and the Conference Board Consumer Index confidence index year to date, even though these showed partial recovery in the last two months. Trisha, what are manufacturers experiencing and how is this affecting company and private investment? According to the ISM PMI reports, the service and manufacturing sectors both show a slowdown in expansionary activity since the tightening of monetary policy. A more substantial reduction for manufacturers goes well in line with observations of a lag and monetary policy. However, both PMIs still show expansion and capacity utilization remaining stable despite the contracting GDP, which supports the argument of potential overutilization within the economy. While looking at gross private domestic investment, this argument still holds up since non-residential fixed investment has not reduced as of the June readings. However, the residential fixed income sector already experienced a significant downturn during the time, indicating that interest rate hikes already had a strong impact. Although the reduction in government expenditure can also be seen as a supporting sign, the BEA reported that such reduction can be attributed to the decrease in investment in structures at the state and local government levels. Let's move on to the labor market. Vera, how are payrolls and can you explain what's going on with job openings and quits? 
So non-farm payrolls notably posted at 315,000 jobs increase for August. And although slightly below forecast, this is a substantial gain given the decline in GDP. An average increase of nearly 400,000 a month in private payrolls over the last several months gives weight and evidence to the robustness and strength of current conditions. The August jobs reading shows a steep month-over-month drop in job openings by more than 1 million, showing a significant pullback it's it's already on its way. With a slight upward trend for new hires, the imbalance in the labor market is already unwinding. However, the higher pay jumps for job switchers compared to job stayers gives reason to be concerned about continued upward pressure on prices and wages and gives reason for the recent rise in job quits. These issues have to be diminished further to prevent a potential wage price spiral. Dan, how is unemployment currently sitting and how is labor force participation affecting it? Unemployment showed no real increase in September in U3 and U6, showing the current strength in the labor market. Despite the tight labor market, the gap between black and white unemployment has reverted back to the historic 2 to 1 margin, accompanied with an August spike in Hispanic unemployment levels. This rise in unemployment can be partially attributed to the rise in labor force participation, despite the upward trend in overall prime age labor force participation since March 2019. Cleveland Fed President Mester acknowledges that it may be hard for the overall participation rate to return to pre-pandemic levels as many people chose to retire during the pandemic. Based on this theory, it is unlikely that there will be an influx of workers to help ease the imbalance between labor demand and labor supply, prolonging the time until we see relief on wage-related inflationary pressures. Aisha, how is it affecting the gender gap? Participation among prime age females grew while remaining still remaining 1% below its pre-pandemic levels, with prime age participation for women increasing at a faster rate than males. The BLS projects that healthcare and social workers will add the most jobs in the incoming two-year period. These jobs are typically filled by female workers, potentially pre- continuing to push up women's participation in the workforce. Carmelo, can you share the current inflationary situation? Gladly, aside from the tight labor market, China's strict COVID policies, supply chain pressures, and the Russia-Ukraine war lead it to inflation levels far above the Fed's 2% target, with core measures showing a concerningly large increase in August despite the fall in headline measures for CPI and PCE. Alternatively, producer prices showed a significant decrease since their peaks in mid-2022 for final demand and finished goods. PPI showed an uptick after recent significant decrease in July. This creates concern for future potential price increases for producers, making it more expensive for producers to sell. Core indexes for both PPI measures show no real decrease in recent months, raising a concern as consumer core prices increased in August. Trisha, can you go into what's leading certain price increases and how it is affecting inequality? Yeah, so this observation is given more importance when considering the expected price pressures from rising energy demand and restricted food supply during the winter. This is being indicated by the already rising West Texas Intermediate and Brent crude oil as well as average U.S. gasoline prices in recent weeks. The upward trend was partially driven by the recent Nord Stream pipeline damage. Additionally, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is ending emergency support in November, and OPEC announced to cut output which will restrict supply. 
with similar inflationary developments across the food sectors, wrecking outcomes on inequality across different groups in the population are imminent and are being supported by the demographic inflation gap, published on June 30th by the New York Fed. Matt, can you further explain the core inflation and what could be driving that? Looking into core inflation, supply chain pressure improving, falling consumer demand for goods, and rising retailer inventories lead to less price pressures on goods. However, such as being offset by the fast-growing price pressures in housing, hospitality, transportation, and medical services. The increased pressure on services is largely driven by a transition of surging house prices to renting costs, as well as fast-rising wages in services. Thus, underlying inflation has substantial momentum, which could prolong the return to the Fed's 2% target. So, Matt... How are the financial markets? Looking at the financial conditions, which are highly responsive to changes in monetary policy visible in the large drop in the S&P 500 this year and high volatility indicated by the VIX index, the increasing number of investors betting against the economy observable in the sharp rise in the short interest ratio coincides with the tighter monetary policies indicating concerns about the market outlook. Next, I'll pass it to Dan to tell us about the expectations shown in the bond market. The inverted yield curve for U.S. Treasuries shows a negative 10 to 2 years spread. Historically, inversions have been a leading indicator for the past 10 recessions. This turmoil in the Treasury market indicates concerns about the near future and confidence in the long term. With the strong hikes of the FFR, the 10-year break-even inflation rate indicates that the market has adjusted its inflation expectations to an average of 2.33% over the next 10 years, very close to the Fed's 2% target. The decline in both of the Bloomberg Financial Conditions Indexes indicates deteriorating financial conditions. The spread between the two indexes suggests possible asset price bubbles in the housing and stock markets. The housing market is showing interesting trends as well. Yeah, so looking at the housing market, the historic high in 30-year mortgage rates above 6% in September are putting downward pressure on the sector overall. A steep rise in housing inventory by more than 15% in the second quarter supports a further slowdown. Additionally, rental costs are rising as a response to the higher mortgage rates and increased demand for rentals as the number of young adults living alone nearly doubled from 2020 to 2022. A steep rise in the price-to-rent ratio acted as an indicator for the 1980 and 2008 crisis, and we have witnessed a similar rise since the third quarter of 2020. Thus, a recession could be on the horizon. Matt, how are home prices changing? Home prices in metro areas have begun to fall after steep increases. With July home prices cooling down at the fastest rate in S&P history. Existing home sales also began to steady off following their continuous decline since January of this year. New home sales, however, posted an unexpected spike in August, coming in at 685000 with market expectations of 500000 With the previously mentioned surge in mortgage rates, the fear of recession and the seasonality of the market, we expect to see home prices continue to fall over activity to slow. Dan, what are the impacts of the dollar rate rising? For more than a year, the U.S. dollar has been steadily strengthening against global currencies, including the euro, pound, yuan, and yen. 
After the Federal Reserve increased benchmark interest rates by another 75 basis points and also signaled more hikes, the U.S. Trade Weighted Dollar Index soared to historic highs as it broke the 120 mark for the first time. This rise was further bolstered due to the U.S. dollar's safe haven effect in the face of mentioned volatility and uncertainty. A further expansion of the trade deficit with decreasing exports and rising imports are the result of this change in relative prices. Tricia, can you tell us a little more about bonds around the world? The U.S., U.K., and Germany shared similar trends in growing 10-year yields with the U.S. standing at a rate around 3.8%, while the Asian market leaders experienced only little changes. The rise in global aggregate yields and the accompanying decline in bond performance goes hand-in-hand with interest rate hikes of more than 40 central banks worldwide, which account for more than 49% of nominal global GDP. Only China and Japan are one of the rare exceptions. Vera, what does this show about the future economic outlook? We utilize Bloomberg's economic forecast, which is compiled from over 80 different financial and academic institutions. Although real GDP has shown negative growth over the last two quarters, it is forecasted to have positive growth through 2024. PCE is expected to steadily decrease by the end of 2023 from its high in the second quarter of 2022. In the housing market, Housing uh, starts and permits are forecasted to drop respectively, then remain consistent going to into 2024. In the first quarter of 2024, the unemployment rate is forecasted to jump from 3.6 to 4.2%. The US dollar is expected to continue its strong growth into 2023 to a more stable level. The forecast also projects a 50% likelihood of a recession. Aisha, what are some of the risks that we are currently facing? The pandemic highlighted how close-knit the world is. Multiple restrictions have disrupted global supply chains. Continuous disruptions have led to increases in shipping costs, port congestions, and extended delivery times. Higher energy prices and rising raw material costs have added to the pain. With the recent COVID lockdowns in Shanghai, China, the busiest seaport in the world, it is expected to worsen global supply chain disruptions, continuing to impact prices. Global geopolitical risks have soared since the Ukraine-Russia war, with experts saying that it will have a sharp increase in uncertainty and risks of severe outcomes. Rising gas prices and reduced supply from China are forcing European companies to revert to other energy sources. The recent supply cut by OPEC Plus furthers supply demand imbalances in the U.S. Looking into inflation's impact on households, it's uneven. Governor Brainerd stated lower-income households spend 77% of their income on necessities, whereas high-income households only spend 31% of their income on essentials. If the Fed does not focus on their efforts of lowering inflation, low- and middle-income households will further struggle meeting their basic needs. Vera, are there any more risks that I did not cover? Yes. So extreme weather conditions continue to put pressure on prices. Most recently, Hurricane Ian in the southeastern U.S. temporarily shut down large shipping ports in Jacksonville, Miami, and Tampa, and caused destruction in excess of an estimated $50 billion, while Europe and Asia have also experienced increased weather distress. The analysis of a strong labor market gives significant support for further tightening of monetary policy. 
However, its durability shows potential to crumble with the recent strong decline in job openings and larger-than-expected increase in jobless claims. The housing market as a strong price driver further supports a strain, but it also shows similar potential to crumble with fast-rising inventory, exploding mortgage rates, and contrast in rent. With the additional concerns of rising inequality within different race, wage, gender, and age groups due to the labor and housing situation mentioned several times by Fed officials, a conscious observation of future developments of its high importance. Matt, any concluding thoughts on risks? Yes, with those risks in mind, we outline the appropriate monetary policy to best achieve the dual mandate. We believe the Fed should utilize the Federal Reserve's balance sheet and target the federal funds rate by employing the IORB and the ONRRP. The policy should be implemented in such a way that avoids additional uncertainty while addressing the various causes of economic instability. Even though the labor force shows robustness, its mentioned imbalances have counteracted further. Dan, what do we recommend the Federal Reserve to do? Well, considering the current economic situation and its risks, we recommend that the Federal Reserve Bank uses two different policies to counteract current high inflation and policies to prevent instability in the future while maintaining maximum employment. Our analysis shows developments towards decreasing price pressures in some sectors and suggests that the effect of monetary policy initiatives is falling behind. However, it is very important that the Fed's immediate response at the upcoming FOMC meeting is another 75 basis points hike towards a 3.75 to 4% target Fed funds range in order to break the inflation cycle and decrease the mentioned overheating of the economy. Further support through extended narrowing of the Federal Reserve balance sheet is needed to also fight the main influence for demand money supply. To do so, it is needed to have another $30 billion increase for the cap on reinvestment of principal payments for Treasury securities held in the system open market account. However, the cap on mortgage-backed securities should not increase further to prevent uncertainty in the housing market. Trisha, are there any other recommendations? Yes, there is. Additionally, we strongly recommend a diversification of the federal balance sheet to enable industry-specific targeting to help resolve the mentioned supply-side issues. To do so, Section 14 of the Federal Reserve Act for Open Market Operations should be extended beyond the purchase and sale of acceptances from only two financial institutions. Finally, the Fed should also expand its liquidity facilities to prepare for global challenges like COVID, Ukraine-Russia war, as well as natural disasters like Hurricanes Fiona and Ian. We believe that these initiatives by the Federal Reserve will fight inflation and maintain maximum employment immediately and provide more stability in the long run. That's going to be all for today. This is our recommendation for the Federal Reserve and analysis of the current economic situation. Thank you for listening to Stack Econ Bits. Bye. Bye. See ya. Bye. 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 Bye.